Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. You are listening to the Qadam podcast, the series on the tafsir of Surah Yusuf. The meaning, the read-through, and the breakdown, and the commentary of the 12th chapter of the Qur'an here at Qadam Institute podcast. Bismillah walhamdulillah, assalatu wassalamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'een. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Salatu wassalam ala ashraf al-anbiya wal-mursaleen wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een So we are continuing on with our uh, reflection, our conversation over the beautiful 12th chapter of the Qur'an, Surah Yusuf Surah Yusuf, alhamdulillah, now we are focusing and beginning on verse number 25 So for those of us who are following along inshallah on your phones or on you know, an actual copy of the Qur'an uh, we are officially on verse number 25 now. So we ended with verse number 24 last week. Um, and verse number 24, I just wanted to kind of refresh everyone's minds as to what we spoke about exactly last Wednesday. Last Wednesday, we had the opportunity to kind of dive into the conversation of the, you know, what the scholars they call the second biggest test of Prophet Yusuf salam's life in terms of chronology that uh, the first big test was obviously him being the victim of jealousy and hasad from his, 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 his brothers and then being thrown down you know, a well and then picked up by a passing caravan. Um, and then he was basically purchased and taken in by this couple in Egypt. And this ultimately led to the second test of Prophet Yusuf salam's life, which was the, uh, the attempt that uh, this woman, Zulaikha, who was the wife of the Aziz of Egypt, the Aziz of Al-Misr, uh, that she basically tried to essentially uh, offer herself to him. Uh, and Prophet Yusuf salam, being uh, the protected Prophet of Allah, he rejected it and he kept it at bay. Um, and this is, you know, we had the whole conversation last week about this idea of ma'asum, that the prophets of Allah were all protected by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from these major tests. And so even then, after that, uh, you know, we, we, we established that test, we finished off with the verse where he says that Prophet Yusuf alayhi salam, he was, uh, it, sa- it says, uh, bihi wahamma biha, right? That she certainly desired him. And there was uh, an understood, you know, situation that Prophet Yusuf alayhi salam that he, that he accepted. That, you know, there was this woman who was, you know, and, and by the way, the, 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 the lessons of this are very, very profound. That Zulaikha was not just this kind of, you know, average human being. She had all the things to offer Prophet Yusuf alayhi salam. She was, uh, you know, the, the, the narrations mentioned that she was actually of beautiful appearance. That she was wealthy, obviously. She lived in a very, very high social status. She was very popular amongst the social economical community at that time. So she was not just this kind of like lowly, poor woman who offered herself to Yusuf alayhi salam. There were a lot of dunyai, you know, temptations that were a part of that temptation that Yusuf alayhi was presented with. And so for him to reject it after all of that speaks volumes about who he actually was. Okay, and so we ended off with the beautiful point that uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, كَذَلِكَ لِنَصْرِفَ عَنْهُ السُّوءَ وَفَحْشَاءَ إِنَّهُ مِنَ الْعِبَادِنَا الْمُخْلَصِينَ That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala turned away from him evil and wrongdoing. سُوءِ وَالْفَحْشَاءَ Okay, and the wording here was very beautiful. I don't know if anybody remembers this from last Wednesday, but we said that, that, that sometimes in our lives, we will be described as people who turned away from sin and wrongdoing. 
But Allah Ta'ala, the, to, to describe the honor that Prophet Yusuf had, he said that this evil and wrongdoing turned itself away from him. Right? And I, I mentioned that, that, that hadith of, of, of the Prophet where he says that Umar ibn al-Khattab was described as this man who when he walked down one route, one sabil, shaitan would take the other one. And this is what happens when you reach this level of piety that wrongfulness and sin itself will try to avoid you. You don't have to try to avoid it, it will actually avoid you. And this is where we ended off last week with ayah number 24. So now we begin ayah number 25. Our goal inshallah is to get to ayah number 30 today. So we start off with verse number 25. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He continues to describe the situation. So now there was this proposition, there was this, there was this temptation. She offered herself to him. He said, no. He said, think about what you're doing. Think about you know, what this is going to do to you, to, to you and your marriage. Think about the entire idea of taqwa, the idea that Allah is watching over us. And I reject whatever uh, offer that you are proposing to me. And so now Allah Ta'ala, He says in verse number 25, He says, uh, uh, he says that they raced towards the door. Okay? Okay? That they raced one another to the door. And she tore his shirt from the back. So she tries to go and grab his shirt from the back, and it says that. Okay, That they both found the owner of that home at the door when they opened it. So now I'm going to kind of paint a picture for everybody in, in, in their mind. They, first of all, Yusuf السلام, he asked Allah for help, right? He, he, said, he says, Qala Allah. Oh Allah, help me. I'm in this situation and my first instinct is to call it to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Next after that is I explain to her why what she is doing is wrong, why what she is doing is incorrect. After that, I run for the door. Okay? So you see the beautiful kind of process here. And I mentioned this whenever anyone here, you know, the lesson for the average Muslim is that whenever the average Muslim is tested with any sort of temptation, any sort of shahwa, any sort of desire, the, the three-part goal is this. Number one, you call out to Allah Ta'ala for help because you know without Allah's help, there's no help, right? That if Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala meant for you something, that there's nothing that you can do to avoid that thing, okay? Number two is obviously understand why the sin is incorrect. Understand why the sin is problematic. Know why Allah Ta'ala told you to stay away from wrongdoing. And then the third step is to get as far away from it as possible. After you've called out to Allah for help, after you've understood why it's incorrect, now you run as far as you can from the sin itself. And that's what Yusuf salam just did. Okay? So he ran for the door. And because he ran for the door, she grabbed his shirt from behind as a means of trying to hold him back. Okay? And you know, some of the tafasir actually mentioned something very beautiful that in fact the door, when she had closed it, when she had closed it initially and she said that famous phrase, hey talak, right? She locked the door. She locked the door. And when a person's in a rush, they can't run to the door and manage some way to unlock it and get out. So some of the scholars, some of the mufassirin, they say that when Yusuf السلام, he ran to the door and the door was locked, because of his piety, the door actually, the lock fell off the door and it fell onto the ground, allowing him to depart from that room. 
You see, and this is why, by the way, this famous ayah from the Quran where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, وَمَن يَتَّقِ اللَّهَ يَجَعَلْ لَهُ مَخْرَجًا That when you keep Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in mind, Allah يَجَعَلْ لَهُ مَخْرَجًا He will make for you an easy exit. When in another situation, when you didn't have Allah in mind, that exit would be very difficult to find. But because Prophet Yusuf did whatever he could, his thoughts were always on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, even on a locked door, that door automatically opened up for him. And this is quite literally the literal manifestation of That he kept Allah ta'ala in mind and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made for him an easy exit. Okay? So when they opened the door, stood there in front of both of them, the Aziz. It says Sayyidaha. Like her, her, her husband. And by the way, Sayyida, Say, Sayyid was also uh, a word that was kind of interchanged, used as almost like a spouse, right? The word Zawj uh, the, and, and the word Sayyid was used as like a spouse because obviously the Aziz of Misr, he was the one that had the high, uh, you know, esteemed position in the community. So he was called Sayyidaha. Her, her, her master or her husband, uh, this is what they were used at that, at that time. And it says that he was at the door and he was right at the door. And so it says that as soon, as soon as she saw her husband at the door. And this is why, by the way, this woman, Zulaikha, was described as one of the most conniving people that, you know, is described in the Quran. Because she was always thinking a step ahead to kind of formulate a lie. Because she knew that her husband was at the door now. I'm in this very awkward position. How do I get myself out of this situation? Immediately, uh, in the, 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 the second part of ayah number 25, she begins to basically make excuses and speak her mind. So she says, قَالَتْ مَا جَزَاءُ مَنْ أَرَادَ بِأَهْلِكَ سُوءًا Okay, so she says, what is the jaza'u? Uh, the the jaza'u basically means like, what's the, what's the payment or the result, right? What's the, what's the outcome of, you know, a person who intended evil? Okay, بِأَهْلِكَ سُوءًا إِلَّا أَنْ يُسْجَنَ أَوْ عَذَابٌ عَلِيمٌ Except to throw him in prison or a, a, a severe punishment, عَذَابٌ عَلِيمٌ So she says to her husband, who obviously is seeing the situation, she sees, uh, the, the, the Aziz sees Yusuf come first, and then behind him is following his own wife, Zulaikha, and he is automatically formulating some thoughts. And so to beat the punch, she basically says, look, what's the, what's, the, what's the punishment of a man who tried to do something so evil besides imprisonment or a painful punishment? So automatically what she's insinuating here is that he is guilty. He is guilty. He's doing something wrong. He is the one who is sinful. I am in the clear. So, and by the way, can I, can I, I'm going to make sure a very, very important point here that I want everyone to pay attention to. Is that this is the nature of, 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 of lies. Okay? The nature of lies is that they build on top of one another. That when a person lies, it is very hard after that lie to come up with the truth easily. Because the temptation always follows that my lie is going to be followed by another lie. And that lie will have to be covered up by another lie. And that lie needs to be covered up by another lie. So at this point, the lies get so extreme that a person cannot differentiate between truth and lie anymore. They have made up such a, 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 a situation here 
from their own kind of cunning nature that they feel like they have to kind of formulate their own reality. And this is why, by the way, people who are called like, this is the, you know, the, the phrase pathological liar, right? Where do we get that phrase from? A pathological liar is a person who lies so frequently that they actually don't have any sort of emotion towards this lie anymore. They're just doing it. It's almost like second nature to them to the point where the fitrah is almost gone, right? Because the first time a person tells a lie, we spoke about this a few weeks ago, that that lie, it basically warrants some physical reaction from the body, right? The, the hands start to sweat, the heart starts to beat faster, the eyes begin to dart, they can't look at the person they're speaking to. But when a person does it so often and does it so consistently, that lie becomes second nature to this person. So Zulaikha knows that she's already in this position of lying. How, what, what better solution than to cover up this lie with another lie? So at this point she says, oh husband of mine, you know, this man has obviously tried, you know, some sort of attempt at me. So I need you to decide what his punishment is. And, 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 and note, note here, by the way, she doesn't even mention that, oh, he's the one that did it. She automatically jumps to what? What's his punishment? Right? She doesn't even say, oh, he's guilty. She doesn't even mention, oh, he's guilty, he tried this or he did this. She automatically says, oh, husband of mine, what should be his punishment? Essentially trying to clear her name of any sort of doubt whatsoever. Okay? And at this point, at this point, Yusuf alayhi salam, he speaks up. At this point, Yusuf alayhi salam, he speaks up. He says, قَالَ هِيَ He says, rather, she is the one who sought to seduce me. You know what's a really interesting point here, by the way? The Mufassirin bring this up. It's a beautiful point. And this is, you know, something that... I, I wouldn't say this is like shari'i. This is not like a legislation. It's just almost like a sunnah. It's a sunnah of the anbiya. It's a tradition of the prophets of Allah and the tradition of the pious. Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah, he says that Yusuf alayhi salam only spoke after she spoke. His goal was not to basically defame her right away. In fact... It was almost, you know, you could say it was almost implied that he was willing to hide her sin if she hadn't spoken out with a lie first. So when she said, oh, husband of mine, what's his punishment for trying this and this and this? That's when he says, Rather, she is the one that tried to have her way with me. And this is his way of defending his own honor. Because he would have defended hers and kept her sin private if she hadn't gone out and tried to allegate, you know, something that was false of him. Right? It's a very powerful lesson here. That our goal as Muslims is not just to go out there and try to defame people. Even if that person's guilty. And there's actually a process. There's tartib here, by the way. And a lot of us, there's confusion in the community on how to handle these situations. Because I'll be, and this is, by the way, where like the conversation becomes a very, very mature conversation. And I told everybody, I'm not going to hold anything back here. I'm going to be very honest, very cutthroat. When situations of like sexual abuse and sexual assault comes up in the community, how does someone handle it? How, how do we react to it? What is the pro, what's the procedure here? And Yusuf alayhi salam, the scholars, they actually even say that obviously the legislation, Islamically, Sharia-wise, obviously there is the, the, the ayah of the four witnesses, but what happens if it's just allegation? What's, what happens if it's just hearsay? Well, here you have it. The, 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 the sunan of the anbiya is to keep things, at least try to figure things out behind closed doors in order to keep as much people out of, uh, of the ears until that person outwardly lies about what they're doing. 
And when there's an outward lie, there's a responsibility of the community to actually protect the rest of the community. Because that person is not accepting the, 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 the actual consequences of their actions. Is that clear? Is that, does that make sense? So this is something that's very, very important to understand. Right? So, قَالَ هِيَ رَوَادَتْنِ عَن نَفْسِ And so he, at this point, says, no, she's the one that sought to seduce me. And this is where you have the situation of what we called he said versus she said. Right? He said this, she said this, I wasn't a witness, I wasn't there. How do I reconcile this situation? And this happens all the time. And maybe not at the gravity of the situation at hand in this ayah, but it happens in a lot of different cases. One person says that this happened this way, another person says it happened that way. What do we do as people? Well, Allah Ta'ala, He says in the second part of ayah number 26, it says, So Allah here, He says that a shahida shahidun min ahliha. A witness from the witnesses of her ahliha. Ahliha literally means like her house or her family, you know, her, 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 her unit, okay? They spoke out, bore witness. Washahida shahida, okay? That a person from her family or her home actually bared witness to this situation. Now, who was this person? Now, this is where the tafsir gets a little bit interesting because the scholars have a few different. Um, Opinions on who this person was. All right, there's a, there, there's a there's a popular opinion. This is the opinion of the Jamhur, and then there's an opinion that are more kind of like individual and, and 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 smaller opinions. The first opinion, and we'll mention it in terms of just kind of like you know the chronological opinions, is that this person Abdul Razak uh, recorded. This is a this is a, a scholar. He recorded that Ibn Abbas, who was a companion of the Prophet, he said that this person was a, 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 an adult male from her family. Okay. An adult male from her family. That this is, it was a full-grown man who spoke miraculously about a situation that was at hand. Okay? The second authority, he says that, uh, that, that, that Jabir radiallahu anhu, he said that he was from the king's or the aziz's like entourage, like from his, his workers. So a very neutral person from the kind of you know, staff of the aziz spoke out here. The third, and some of the scholars, they say that this is the most popular opinion right here. The most popular opinion is that in fact, and this was Ibn Abbas's major opinion, was that there was actually an infant in the home of the palace of that time, and the infant spoke out from the cradle. Now, this is very interesting. And there's a reason why this is actually the popular opinion, because there's a hadith, okay, there is a hadith from the life of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam where uh, it says that there are a few times where four children, four children were given the power, the blessing of speech. Okay, four children were given the blessing of speech, and this is an authentic riwayah. The first of which was Prophet Isa alaihi salam. Prophet Isa alaihi salam defending his mom, defending his mother Maryam. Okay, that was the number one. The second one was an accusation made against a man by the name of Ajuraj, who was basically a pious man from Bani Israel. Okay, that a similar accusation was 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 said against him, and there was a child from the community from the Bani Israel who actually spoke to his innocence. The third was the 
child was the small daughter of the personal, and this is really interesting, the personal hairdresser of Asiya, alayhi salam, the wife of Fir'aun. That when Fir'aun got a hunch that Musa alayhi salam was actually the son of this woman from the Bani Israel, this daughter, this young child from one of the workers of, 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 of Asiya, she spoke out and basically testified to his innocence. And the fourth is this situation right here. And this is a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. And this is why some of the more authentic you know, narrations are that this who, who spoke out, the shahid, the shahidan, was actually this, this baby. And so this baby, this child spoke out. Okay? The child spoke out. And the child, it said that, the famous narration, that if this is true, okay? That if this, true, if this is true, in kana qamisuhu qadda min qablin, that his shirt would be basically ripped from the front. It's incredible, by the way. Because Ibn Kathir, he mentions that like, if, if, if the miracle of the child speaking was true, then a child speaking would just be enough of a miracle in and of itself. Imagine like a baby just said, oh yeah, she's guilty and he's free. Every single person here would be like, great, sounds good to me. That's all I need, where do I sign off? But Allah Ta'ala's wisdom is beyond that. That the child not only spoke of the innocence of Yusuf but the child provided what? Evidence. Dalil. This is what we call dalil in, in fiqh. That you can't just say something, oh yeah, I have a hunch that this guy's bad. <laughs> why do you feel he's bad? Oh, I just know he's a bad guy. Right? Oh, why do you, like, why do you think he stole? Oh, because he's a, he's a thief. He steals, right? Well, where's your proof? Oh, I don't have proof. I just have a hunch that he steals things. Look at the way he, look, look at the way he carries himself. That's not good enough. That's not good enough. You know? And this is why, by the way, like, in our communities, it's very problematic when we formulate judgments about people. And this is where you get that famous ayah on Surah Al-Hujurat, where Allah Ta'ala, He says, you know, uh, uh, make sure not to uh, make too many assumptions. Right? Ya don't make many assumptions because inna ba'da some of your assumptions ba'da dhanni ithm they'll lead to sinfulness. Will you be right in certain hunches that you have in your life? Sure. But the ones that you're wrong about will weigh way heavier in sin than whatever good that your good assumption the, the, the right assumptions may actually bring. Right? So a person makes 10 assumptions, they might be right like 8 times or 7 times. But those 3 Assumptions that they made that were wrong will weigh heavier in sin than the, than the good that those seven assumptions that were right would be. Does that make sense? So Allah Ta'ala just says, stay away from it. You don't want to take that burden upon your shoulders. The burden of wrong assumptions is a huge one. So just stay clear from that. You do not want the burden of that to be on your hands. You don't want the burden of that to be on your shoulders. Okay? So he says that, you know, this baby says that if this shirt is torn from the back... فَصَدَقَتْ That she's the truthful one. وَهُوَ مِنَ الْكَاذِبِينَ And he is the liar. Okay? He is the liar. But, وَإِن كَانَ قَمِيسُهُ قَدَّ مِن ذُبْرٍ فَكَذَبَتْ وَهُوَ مِنَ الْصَادِقِينَ And this baby says, well, if the shirt is, is, is ripped from the back, then she is the one. فَكَذَبَتْ That ta at the end is a, uh, an Arabic kind of, you know, grammar. It denotes pronoun of, of she. So, فَكَذَبَتْ She is the liar. 
وَهُوَ مِنَ الصَّادِقِينَ And he is the one who, he is the one who is innocent and truthful. Alright? So this baby just lays down the law. <laughs> he just tells it like it is. He says, well, this is what evidence should be proven, provided here. So you check for yourself. We have he said versus she said. We have the two testimonies. Now check the evidence. Check the cameras. Check the tape. See what happened. And ultimately, obviously, the ending deciding factor was that Prophet Yusuf salam shirt was ripped from the Minduburin, from the back. Right? And remember what we said about four weeks ago that the shirt of Prophet Yusuf was in fact a mode of mu'jizah for him. It was a mode of miracle for him. Why? Because the shirt was the one that proved his life to his father when the brothers said that he had died, who he was eaten by the wolf. That was the first time where this shirt was a miracle. The second time is this time right here. That his shirt proved his innocence. And this is why the qamis of Yusuf alayhi salam, the scholars they say, is one of the most beautiful artifacts in Islamic history. It proved his life and innocence several times in his lifetime. Several times in his lifetime, this shirt proved his innocence. Okay? And so his shirt was ripped from the back. And so ultimately, the, 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 the judgment that was made was that she was the one that was untruthful. Okay? And so at this point, the husband, he speaks. Okay? It says, When he witnessed and he saw that this shirt was ripped from the back, he immediately, he says, It's a very interesting phrase, by the way. Okay? He says that indeed, this is a very, very sinister plot from you. And he's looking at his wife and saying this, by the way. Easy or difficult? It's extremely difficult. It's always easy to like point the finger at someone that's not your family. Right? Whenever there's a situation that arises, trust me, I've been in the community long enough. <laughs> when there's a situation with families, it's always the other guy. Right? Ah, oh, my kid is, mashaAllah, right? Second coming of Mikhail, Jibreel, alayhi salam. Right? Angel, sweet little baby, right? It's the other kid that's a bad influence on mine. My kid can't do that. We never ever think this way. We always think that other people are out to get us. But here, we, we, we see that that's not always the case. To understand that, yeah, sure, your family deserves your husnadhan. Your family deserves your, 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 your good assumptions. But sometimes that family will be the, the, the same people that you also need to kind of see very, very, very objectively. Right? And he said to his own wife, you know, okay, the kunna, that this is your plot. You did this. Don't blame him. He's an innocent guy. And also, why, why is he so confident in saying this? Because he's seen Yusuf salam grow up. And this is why, by the way, you know, there's this kind of discrepancy between like the older and younger generation about this idea called reputation. Right? The, 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 the elders of the community think that reputation is all that matters. And the younger people in the community think that reputation, nothing matters in reputation. Well, guess what? The beauty of it all is that there's a balance and there's a halfway point. Yeah, is there a point in life that sometimes you have to actually zone people out at times where you can't think about What are they thinking? But is there also a time where you have to think about, hey, like I don't want to display myself like this. I don't want people to see me in a certain light because reputation also matters. By the way, there's an authentic hadith of the Prophet where this was an evidence. 
He said that no one from my family was born. It's authentic riwayah. You can look it up in Bukhari. He said no one from my family was born out of wedlock. Authentic hadith. And you read it and you're thinking to yourself, like, why would he mention something like that? Obviously, you know, this is something that he has no control over. Even maybe his father had no control over or the child who was born out of wedlock had no control over. So why did the Prophet mention this? Well, it was a testament to his message and his messengerhood and his prophethood. That the Prophet he knew that after he started to say La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah, there would be attacks coming from left, right, up, down, in, out, every direction. That you are a liar, you're a kathib, you're a, you're a soothsayer, you're a magician, you are this, you're that. And he knew that one of the things that people would say is that this guy's born from like a lowly family. So how could he be a prophet? Well, the Prophet he says, look at my father, Abdullah. Look at his father, Abdul Muttalib. Look at his father, Hashim. I come from this line of like... Amazing people. And I'm not saying this is legislation, by the way. I'm not saying that this is something that like, oh, if you have a person in your family that's like, not that great that you should feel ashamed of it. This is not something that you're responsible for, obviously. But I'm trying to prove a point here. Is that there is something called reputation. And, and the Aziz, he knew it. That Yusuf salam was not this like, you know, shady, you know, immoral person. So I know him to not lie. So why would he lie here? And this is where the entire conversation of like who to trust comes up. Who do I trust? You trust the people who have not broken your trust. If there's a situation where a person comes up to you, and this is what I tell parents, by the way. Parents who are like super accusative of their kids. It's like, oh, my, my daughter, I don't trust her. Well, I, I, by the way, I always ask parents this question. I say, like, well, has your daughter or has your son given you a reason to not trust them? Have they broken your trust in any way possible? And if they say, well, no, they haven't. I said, well, guess what? They deserve your hustle done right now. They built a reputation of trustworthiness. They deserve your, 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 your good assumption. Now, if they have provided some reason for your trust to be broken, that's where you're like, okay, you know what? Like, we have some conversations to have. Because there was a situation previously where you did break my trust and you're not the most trustworthy person ever. So I need to reassess the situation here. But if a person is trustworthy and reputable, the, the default understanding in Islam is that you trust that person. That's the default understanding here. Okay? So, she, so he says that, you know, إِنَّهُ مِنْ كَيْدِ Okay? إِنَّ كَيْدَ عَظِيمٌ He says, certainly, your plot is عَظِيم. The word عَظِيم here basically means like it's great. Like you, you've really thought about this. You know? It's not just something that just came up and you just happened to have to make a decision on the spot. No, no, you thought this out. And this is why, by the way, sin is on different planes and levels. There's a famous hadith of the Prophet ﷺ where he describes like the, 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 the way towards a sin. That sin is not just something that somebody does, they think about it. And this is why the, 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 that famous hadith of a person who has that initial kind of like desire and they don't act upon it, Allah Ta'ala actually rewards them for putting that desire away. Because the first attack from shaitan, you actually won. So you deserve, you, deserve, you deserve some sort of, you know, uh, 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 a reward for it. You deserve some sort of, you know, you deserve some sort of hasanas for it. Because it's not easy. And he looks at Yusuf after he addresses his wife. Inna kayda kunna azim. He looks at Yusuf alayhi salam and he says, Yusufu a'urid an hadha. It's a very interesting verse right here. A'urid an hadha. Okay, he, a'urid by the way means to like, Turn away, like go away. 
or you know, just you know, turn around and walk the other direction. A'rid. Okay? He says, A'rid an hadha. Turn away from this. And I'll give you a very easy translation to follow. It literally means, Oh Yusuf, do not uh, basically publicize this situation. Do not publicize this and do not basically kind of go around talking about this. Okay? So he tells Yusuf, A'rid an hadha. And then he looks at his wife for the last time and he says to her, And he says to her, You ask for forgiveness for your sin. Verily, you were the one that were described as khati'in. You were the one that was sinful. Okay? And this is another evidence, by the way, that if there was wrong that was committed in private, that the way to go about it is seek reconciliation privately first. The moment that a Muslim sees sin happening, it's not their job to go around and report it like you're a CNN. <laughs> to be like, you know what, like, I think ARY Digital needs to hear this news. You know, like, I better go out and kind of put on the megaphone and tell everybody what I just saw here. If a sin was done privately, the, 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 the privacy deserves the honor of reconciliation in, private, in privacy as well. So he looks at Yusuf, he says, A'rid an hadha. It was actually, the, the, Ibn Kathir says, this was actually like a request that the Aziz made from, of Yusuf. Oh Yusuf, please have mercy upon us. Don't like go out and publicize the situation. Why? Because she, made a, she, she committed a sin privately, so keep her honor intact at least. Keep her honor intact. And he looks at her and he says, li. Okay, وَاسْتَغْفِرِ li ذَنْبِكِ As you make, make, ask Allah for forgiveness and privacy. You need to ask Allah for, for forgiveness. Okay? And so, at this point, at this point, the tafsir, it continues, and it says something very beautiful here. It says that the situation seemed done and dusted. Right? That this scene was over. Alhamdulillah, we had come to a solution that it seemed like she was repentant for her sin. That Yusuf salam, being the honorable messenger of God that he was, he decided to keep this private because of the honor that the, the Aziz had requested. And so this was done and dusted. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals verse number 30. And this is where the story thickens the plot a little bit, as they say. So in verse number 30, Allah ta'ala, he says, وَقَالَ نِسْوَةٌ فِي الْمَدِينَةِ إِمْرَأَةُ الْعَزِيزِ تُرَاوِدُ Fataha. It says, and the woman in the city, Waqala, Niswatun fil Medina. The woman in the city, they began to, I don't know how you say it in Urdu, but in Bangla they say bakbak. <laughs> Bakbaka. Like they start talking. They start like, you know, opening their mouths about what's going on. Right? Did you hear about this? Did you hear about that? Did you hear about what happened? Right? And so they say, Amra'atul Aziz Turawidu Fataha, that the wife of the Aziz is seeking to, you know, seduce her Fataha. Fatah, by the way, in Arabic is like it's it's an interesting translation, so I'll amend it for our understanding here. It means like a a a a young man who who basically serves you, Fataha. Okay? Technically, you could call it like a slave or a servant, but in this situation, it's more so of like a young man who essentially you raised and, you know, they, they, you, you are, they're your responsibility, etc., etc., okay? 
فتاها عن نفسه قد شغفها حبا إن لنراكها في ظلال مبين and they say oh my goodness and she has this like desire and passion for him and she is so messed up for what she did I'm translating it in very modern day terms by the way imagine like this group of women just sitting around talking you know at the dawat saying did you hear about you know what she did did you hear about what they did did you hear about what happened in the in the palace did you hear about the slave boy and the and, and the wife of the aziz and she basically tried to seduce him and you know and and, and it says shaghafaha hubban that 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 she had so much desire and so much so, so much passion and, and 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 at the end they say uh in and we see her to be a very wrong messed up person can you believe what she did and this is why you know the the, the scholars they mention that once a situation, a person has asked Allah for forgiveness and privacy, and they have solved the situation, you have no right to bring up their sin. You have no right to bring up their sin. And there's a famous scholarly quote that says, that Allah Ta'ala, in fact, has hidden their sin for them. So who give, what gives you the right to bring it up again? That Allah hid it. Allah hid it behind closed doors. Who are you to surface their sins and their problems in front of other people? But this is what happens with people. This is what people do. And I'm sure everyone in here has witnessed it or been a victim of it or has been around it at some point in their life. This backbiting and slander is a very serious thing. And that famous hadith of the Prophet where he asked uh, his companion, he says, Do you know what backbiting is? And the companions, they would say, Ya Rasulullah, Allahu wa Rasuluhu a'lamu. Allah and His Messenger know best. And He said that backbiting is speaking anything of your brother or sister in their absence that they do not appreciate or they would not want to be spoken about. And the companions, they would ask the Prophet they said, Ya Rasulullah, well, what happens if what we say is true? Because that's a natural question, right? That's a natural question that people come to. Whenever someone gets caught backbiting, they automatically start defending themselves and say, well, whatever I said was true. What happens then, right? I said that like this girl was accused of this crime and this girl actually was accused of this crime and it was, and, and, and it was proven and she was guilty. What I'm saying is not a lie. So what, what, what if what I say it is true? And he says, well, that is still considered ghiba, backbiting. And he said, and if it's false, then it's something that we consider slander. So slander is talking about somebody behind their back, which is a lie. Ghiba, backbiting, is talking about somebody behind their back, even if it is true. But mentioning your brother or sister in a way that they would not want to be mentioned. Doesn't matter if it's good or bad. And this is, and I'll, and I'll share something even, and this is like for like the, the awliya of Allah, like the pious, you know, uh, friends of God. That even some of the scholars, they say to praise somebody, to praise somebody in a manner that would make them uncomfortable is actually not befitting of a person. So like if a person gives like sadaqah, whatever amount they give, and now word around towns, oh, did you hear this guy give $50,000 to the masjid? Can you believe it? And even though your intention is good, you're trying to like bring about like awareness of his generosity. The scholars would consider this actually riba because the brother wanted to keep his identity hidden. Or the sister wanted to keep her identity hidden. She didn't want 
it to be publicly known that she gave $50,000. So it's very, very important. It, it, it really does, key, it, it brings to light the reality of, of, of making sure that we're aware of what we say to people. The Sahaba had this practice, by the way, where they would say that at the end of the night, I would actually count the words that I spoke that day. Half of us can't even imagine doing this. How do I need to say half? Like 99% of the people here can't imagine doing this. Why? Because half the people don't even know half the stuff that they said. And the second half of the people, even if they wanted to, they say too many things. So you can't count it. But the Sahaba, they said we would count the words we would say at the end of the day before we went to sleep. To make sure that we didn't say something that we regret. And if everyone here, including myself, is thinking, well, I, I can't even remember half the things that I say. Well, that means what? That we speak way too much. Or we say things that we don't keep count of. How many times are feelings hurt because we didn't mean something a certain way? How many times do we offend people because we said something in a certain way that we forgot about in five minutes, but that person remembered for the next 10 years? How many times do these things happen? And this is why the tongue will be a witness for you or against you on the day of judgment. This is why Abu Bakr as-Siddiq, he used to literally walk around Medina and he would literally say hadha, hadha, while holding, it's a, it's, a, it's a hadith, he would hold his tongue between his index finger and his thumb. He would walk around saying hadha, hadha. He goes, this right here is the reason why I will not be allowed to enter into paradise. He goes, if anything's going to stop me from entering paradise, it will be this right here. And there's that famous hadith. Where the, where, where the Prophet, he says uh, that Al-Muslimu man salim al-Muslimuna min lisanihi wa yadihi. That a Muslim is a person who other people, they feel salima. They feel safe, at peace. Min lisanihi wa yadihi. What they're, in, in the presence of their tongue and the presence of their hands. Meaning their, their words and their actions. A person walks into this musalla and everybody becomes uncomfortable because that person is known to backbite. That person is not doing right by the other Muslims in this musalla. It's a very, very serious thing, right? And so we'll pause there for today because I, I wanted to keep this, uh, you know, uh, very, very broken down into chapters. But inshallah, next Wednesday, we will continue on with verse number 31, which brings about a very interesting, uh, very, very interesting. Oh man, I gotta mention this. Yeah, I have to mention this because this is important. Okay, I'll, we'll finish with this. The, the verse number 30 that we just mentioned, them talking about, you know, the, the Zulaikha and what she did and, you know, whatever went down in the palace. The scholars, they actually mentioned a couple of things. They say one of the reasons why they kept talking, why they kept talking was actually for dual intention. Number one was obviously backbiting. That was first. They're backbiting and they were trying to bring somebody down of higher status, right? Because these were the women of Al-Madina, means like of the city. Like they're just common townspeople. And Zulaikha was what? The wife of the Aziz. She was this higher up person. So they were trying to bring her down out of jealousy. And the second, and this is going to blow your mind, the second opinion, and Ibn Kathir has this opinion, is that in fact, they were almost hoping, they were almost hoping that from their backbiting, the wife of the Aziz would hear about it and actually invite them over so they could have a glance of Yusuf Ali Islam themselves. Incredible to think about. This is why, by the way, this, 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 this phrase, Kayda kunna adim, is brought up. 
that it, this is a great plot, a, like a, a very, very diabolical plot, very thought out, right? That these women not only spoke to bring her down, but they spoke in hopes of being invited to the palace so they could actually gaze upon Yusuf alayhi salam themselves. And this is why, you know, it's very, very important for us to ask Allah Ta'ala to consistently, consistently to protect uh, our eyes. Protect our eyes, protect our extremities, protect our limbs from all of these different things. Because if not contained, if not checked, these things could completely work against the heart. Completely work against the heart. And so we'll end, inshallah, with that. Uh, and I'll, I'll open up, inshallah, to any sort of questions uh, before we break for, for food and socializing, inshallah. Ameen, Rabbil Alameen. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Wa nashadu an la ilaha illa ant nastaghfiruka wa natubarik.